0: are you feeling stuck lost tired or uninspired we've all been there including myself i'm coach des mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur i'm here to tell you that the best unapologetic and limitless version of yourself is yet to come The Born Unbreakable podcast is here to inspire just that. With motivating guests from all different walks of life and around the world, their stories will empower you to unlock abundance and your unbreakable spirit. Do you need accountability? Reach out to me for a free consultation of how I can support you in reaching your maximum potential. This episode is brought to you by Sherpa Way Marketing. Are you a business looking to gain greater visibility online through search engine optimized content? Maybe you need effective ad campaigns to kickstart or bolster traffic to your website. Sherpa Way Marketing has seasoned experts that are bilingual in English and Spanish. Let them take the guesswork away and enhance your brand positioning with their comprehensive marketing services. Go to SherpaWayMarketing.com that's S-H-E-R-P-A-W-A-Y-marketing.com to schedule your free 45-minute consultation today. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I am so excited about this episode. I know you hear my excitement every time I do an episode, but this one is... A roller coaster, you know. When I learned about my guest, I've got Brent Cassidy with me today. I I learned of his story, and and my jaw dropped. Um, so I would not be surprised if you are uh, tuning in and have that same reaction. But without further ado, let me introduce Brent, and we'll get into some pretty interesting conversation here. But Brent has a great story. He was a a success, a CEO, something that I think a lot of people aspire to be working for a big company. Um, Maybe you're starting out working for a small company, but he was a CEO of a company called Forever Enterprises, and it grew regionally. nationally and it was in over 22 states and he was in time in fortune in the Wall Street Journal so a lot of places a lot of publicity and if you remember HBO they did a documentary and that spawned the TV series six feet under I still remember when that that show came out Um, well obviously of what you can tell so far, he had uh, a lot of success, but um, one day found himself at the gates of Leavenworth Prison to serve a five-year sentence. So that that's a pretty big, drastic difference um, from where he started. But he coined the phrase, Nightmare Success because everything you want is on the other side of fear. Um, You know, since then, we'll learn more about Brent's story, but he's the host of a podcast called Nightmare Success um, In and Out Podcast, so definitely look that up and tune in. He's also written a book that came out last year called Nightmare Success, Loyalty, Betrayal, Life Behind Bars, Adapting, and Finally Breaking Free. And we're going to learn today about the five rules that Brent, you know, followed, and that helped him to survive prison, that can be applicable to you. But whoa! <laughs> Welcome to the show, Brent. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Des. What an introduction! I appreciate that. So happy to be on. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you're and Brent is calling in from St. Louis today, right?
1: Yes, and I, we were talking about that, Des, because my brother, he lives in Los Angeles. My mom lives in Florida. And I never heard anybody say, if I really make it big, I'm going to move to St. Louis. <laughs> they always take off and go the other way, east or west.
0: Hey, somebody's got to do it out yeah, there. Somebody's got to
1: be here. There's like two right? and a half million of us. Yeah. They don't have a fence around. I there.
0: mean, yeah. <laughs> it's actually really hard. <laughs> yeah, I've got three oh daughters. God, They've grown up
1: me. here. Uh, yeah, no, it's actually, in fact, we have guys that play for the St. Louis Cardinals and other pro sports. And then once they come here, they like it. And so a lot of them stay. So there's a lot of good aspects about St. Louis. I just joke about it being in the middle.
0: No, I love, no, I love that. And I I love traveling and I've been to St. Louis. It's a great, it's a great city. Um, But you've got a great story. And it's, it's pretty crazy. So you've got you've to take us back here, Brent. You know, you're, you're running this big company. It's a national company. How did this How did all, all unravel? <laughs> yes. Well,
1: you know, I always say, you know, I had it all, lost it all, and found myself standing at the gates of Leavenworth. And, um, you know, usually when something happens like this, uh, that's happened in my life, when you have what I had, you almost think that it's all great, that you've made it and it's all good. I finally made it to where I wanted to be. And sometimes I think that's where people get blindsided. They, you know, success is great. Life is great. Second homes are great. Family's great. But then you get blindsided. There's something you weren't paying attention to. And I grew up Dad's in a, in a in an environment, a, a home where, you know, my dad was I idolized. He was uh, he graduated, you know, um, the, he won a state championship in high school, little bitty Buffalo High School. Nobody even heard of. And then he went on and uh, he graduated number one in his law school class. And he was a D1 athlete, basketball player. So, I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, man. Want to be just like this guy, and he 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 ran out of law school and won some big cases, and he got into business. But at fourteen years old, all life was good, and my dad was on TV a lot, and he was buying stuff, and it was just one of those things. Well, he came to Tyler and I, my brother, and one night, and uh, he said, "Boys, he said, I'm in a heap of trouble, and uh, I think the only way to get out of this is uh, being federally investigated with the bank I own." And I think I'm going to plea and to get past this so I can be with you guys and, and we can go and have a, you know, a second life and 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 get away from this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. How, how does this happen? This is the guy, the, the, the golden touch of everything that he did. And uh, the biggest guy, ever, I wanted to be him. And I'm like, how in the world did this happen? So, you know, the second part of that was, and by the way, we're also going to move, which at that time, you know, I, we lived in a southwest Missouri, Springfield, Missouri, and it was just like my place. So everything changed does. And so that was the first change in my life that was different than maybe most people have. We my dad went to prison for 6 months when I was a freshman in high school. And and we kind of hit it, you know, like dad was away on vacation or he was working on and and out of out of uh, state building a new business but it felt uncomfortable because you know you move into a new place people say well where's the dad you know where's what's going on that all came back dad came back and there was one business out of that whole thing does that survived and it was a strange business because it was a newer type concept it was Uh, It was called National Prearranged Services and people, a guy came to my dad when he was an attorney and he put this together as an idea. And he said, I'm just going to put this in a family trust, Rhonda, Brent and Tyler. And if anything ever comes of it, I'm going to take 50 percent of it by putting this together. So the company was. um, You would go and you would take and make all the arrangements for your funeral ahead of time so your family wouldn't have to do that. You pick up your your music, and who be the pallbearers, and all that, and you take and pick their casket and whatever. So it takes all the burden off the family. Newer concept, not a sexy company, but it was a needed it was a needed uh, service. And that company grew. I ended up joining that company ten years later um, after I got out of college, and um, that became a company that, that was our first company, National Primary Services, that was the one that didn't get a lot of attention. You know, the company that Tyler and I started later on was Forever Enterprises. Forever Enterprises got tons of great attention because we were revolutionizing the way people remember a life. We were we were creating 18,000, 20,000 life stories for people to, to go to the to the uh, cemetery and, and touch that screen and be introduced or reintroduced to that grandmother, great-grandmother they'd never met. And then we put that on the Internet and that became something that was different, that had never, you know, in in the cemetery business, it just hadn't changed over 100 years. And now we were doing something different. Got a lot of recognition for it. But the company that continued to grow from three states to 14 states to 22 states was this non-sexy company. But we had two things in that company. One was sales and marketing, which I loved. And we had an insurance company. I hated. I hate math. I mean, and
0: (laughs) I I there's always something. It can't be totally perfect. uh,
1: I was political science theater in in college. So you can kind of see where I was a
0: political science (laughs) in college too. (laughs) Okay, so we thought too much. So
1: they don't usually like math. I hated math. But we had an insurance company that we owned. And I always just arrogantly looked at it as hey, I'm building this thing. And that's where we store the money and that's how the thing gets paid in the end. And, you know, I look back on that today and then for for a family company, it worked out really well. Dad liked that side of the company. He liked investments, he liked numbers. And so looking at it from the outside, what a great thing. Brent likes sales, marketing, operations. Uh, Dad likes the uh, numbers. Tyler likes uh, technology. My brother, my mom did a great job building and, and renovating houses. So every Cassidy was making their way. And then the nightmare hit. Once you think you've got it all going, everything's all on point. And it happened like I was driving my car and at a gas station, I get a call from the president of our insurance company. And he says, Brent, I just got off the phone, weirdest phone call from the state of Ohio, one of our biggest states that we were in. And he said, they've got information that they say is going to bring our company down. And I was, I got, kind of broke out in a cold sweat. I thought, I've been through this before, but this time I'm in it you know, last time it was dad, this time we're in as a family. Des, it was, uh, I would never wish this on anybody um, because we went through a six-year investigation. And, you know, as it was, my biggest mistake was is my dad didn't own the insurance company or any of the companies. It was Rhonda Brent and Tyler that owned the trust. So, There were things I should have done as an owner to have been more responsible on the side of the business that I didn't like. What was ironic was that I was called into a room with my dad and and our attorney and said, listen, your dad can't go talk to these regulators. He's got a a history. He's an ex-felon. We need a voice. We need a good voice to talk about what our business is and what we do. Brent, we think you'd be that voice. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> this is the one. This is the company I don't know. This is the company I've, I've ignored yeah. like, the you know, the stepchild. But I wanted to do it, Des. I wanted, you know, I was just cocky enough to think I could save the day. You know, we had four or 500 people that worked for us, and I wanted to save those jobs. I wanted to impress my dad that I could step to the plate. Well, we came close. You know, we came close two or three times, but in the end, we didn't win. And in the end, it ended up that six people got indicted, charged, and all of them pleaded pleaded out. And, um, you know, my dad ended up getting 10 years. Uh, Randy Sutton, our CFO, got seven years. Uh, even our attorney got three years. I got five years. It was just an absolute unbelievable nightmare and you know, the thing that I look at when you go through a nightmare is I hit rock bottom. And I didn't hit rock bottom until I got to the very end of realizing I was finally giving up. You know, it finally got to the point when my girls and wife sat me down and said, Ted, there's no way you can go to trial. This has been a hurricane of bad. And, you know, the way that they do in criminal trials is they'll, they'll take uh, wire fraud or money laundering or mail fraud because if you've mailed stuff out for 30 years they can stack those and they all carry 20 years and they can anytime you've made a wire uh, transfer they can stack those they all carry 20 years so you're looking at hundreds of years so you you could go in and be you know nine out of 10 of them, but then you're looking at one and you got 20 years. So it's a hard thing. You look at, you know, why did 97% of the people that get indicted or charged? Do they please? Because the chance of taking that risk, whether whatever you're charged with, a lot of people go when they're charged with murder because they got nothing to lose. But when you are looking at hundreds of years and your family's saying, let's stop this, uh, so they, I finally, you know, realized I, I had a deal from, from zero to five years and we had worked out a deal and I was supposed to go and we had a family conversation that night and, you know, my mom and Tyler were going to help take care of the girls and Julie. Well, this has been agreed to. I was by myself. I was going to go visit my um, family up in Nantucket. That's one of the things <laughs> I have this shirt that says used to have, but, they were up there. I was going to go uh, fly up and see them the next day. But one of the things that happened to me, Des, was is that I had, up to that point, I had been fighting all this time. And it was like all of a sudden it just kind of fell over me that I've I've quit the fight. Where am I now? And I thought, OK, the kids are going to be taken care of. It sounds like that's going to be taken care of. Julie, she, my wife, she's been such a warrior through this. She needs a new start. Who needs could I live as an ex-felon? for the rest of my life. Do they need this stain on the on them as a dad or as a husband? And I started drinking. I was by myself, which was bad. Drinking by yourself is not a good uh, concoction for anybody. And I got out a sheet of paper and I started writing and giving my girls all this great uh, fatherly advice of going forward and my wife, what a warrior she'd been and my my friends, what how great they had been in supporting. And I got another drink and I finished that letter, finished that drink, and got another drink. I grabbed my keys and I went downstairs to the garage. And I didn't know if I was going to go run into a tree or just let the car run. And, Des, it's like something that, you know, you'll always remember the rest of your life. It was like something hit me like a uh, like a bolt. I almost felt like I got jilted. I was like, oh, my God, Brent, what are, what are you doing? This, this is this is a, you. You're, you're the glass half full guy. Can you imagine, I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine, Brent, how your family would see your girls, my three girls, like just gave up, a quitter, to go out this way? What a horrible legacy. And I, th- I just, at that moment, I thought, I, hey, I can't do this to myself of this blaming victimhood, why me? I'm flipping the script right now and i'm surviving and whatever i've got to step through however scared i am because there's a lot of scary stuff coming at me i'm going to step through it and hopefully my my wife and my kids and anyone around me can be proud of how i'm at least handling that and hopefully i can bring something from this experience and help others this all went through this rock bottom moment and so, Des what happened was is everything that happened after that, it wasn't easy. Nothing was getting easier. What I was stepping into, but I felt different. I felt like I fought for this thing for six years, I hit a wall, I went all the way down to blaming faults, why me? Why this? And once I flipped that script, and I and I because here's the thing about Victimhood. Victimhood is something that will take all of your strength away from you, because you're you're pulling, and you're 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 projecting out that this is his fault, it's her fault, it's a bad luck, all these different things that you can make up, but it doesn't give you strength. Surviving gives you strength because it makes you stand up taller, it makes you step up stronger, it makes you stronger. So, when I was standing at that gate at Leavenworth. I was absolutely, I mean, backing up, you wait after you plead, you know, to get that letter in the mail. Where am I going? You know, you have this time period of strangeness of, you know, you're waiting and your every day is like the last day, you know, you're, you're, you're experiencing, you know, not wanting to, the day to be over, you know, because you want to see your kids and your wife and you know, you're closing in. And then you get this letter that tells you where you're going and mine said leavenworth i thought oh my god i've heard of that one that doesn't sound good and when i when i got pulled off and and, was standing at that gate what i thought to myself was des is that everything that i love is behind me everything that is unknown to me is in front of me and i've got to step through it i've got to have strategies of something to get me through this and that's how i Learned how to live in that unknown prison environment
0: oh my gosh it's just mind-boggling but i think you know the darkness that you described being drink after drink thinking of all of your family from your wife to your children, and the fact that you're, like you said, it's closing in on you. Time is just going by, and you know, as each day passes, you're getting closer to this thing that you are going to have to face, as they say, you know, face the music, right? Yeah. And um, there, there are choices that you can make, but the, the human condition is such that we, y- you have to go through those things. You have to go through the pain, the sadness, the the anxiety. And and this recognition point, which I have to imagine this is what it was like when you were at the gates of Leavenworth, that your whole life that you once knew was no longer. Right. And and that that's gotta be this, you know, all of a sudden you're you have this new canvas that you have to figure out what you want to paint on it.
1: Yeah, and it's um and the prison world is interesting, too, Des, because um, you walk in there and you walk in individually and you don't know anything and they don't tell you anything. That's one of the things you learn, you know, as, as soon as those gates open and you start walking, you can feel it. You can feel freedom coming off of you. And if, if you. it's almost like a physical thing. And the other thing that you know is, is that anything that you ask won't be answered And it's not something that you, because it's unknown, they want you to feel that, you know, they want to put you in that cell immediately through this uh, orientation so that you don't know how long you're going to stay in that cell. You don't know if it's going to be five minutes or five days. And all those things start getting into your structure, your mind, like, okay, (laughs) I get it. I have no control. So how do I at least feel like I have control? And Mm -hmm. as I, as I started living that life, I did. Here's one thing I can always say to people. And I went and spoke to a colleague the other day about this. Nothing is ever as bad as your mind makes it out to be. Not even prison. Nothing is ever as bad as your mind makes it out to be. What my mind thought when I was standing at that gate to what actually happened, not nearly as bad. I found immediately within an hour after I made it to through orientation of, of that hazing period, I had a um, – immediately they took me up to my bunk. So I had a bunk bed, uh, a plastic chair, and a locker. That's what my life had been condensed to. But this guy walks up to me, and he says, hey, you must be uh, my new bunkie. And this little short, boxy guy looked like he, he was a Hispanic guy. who looked like he could basically beat anybody up in, the, in our dorm there. So there's 50 bunk beds. Everybody had a chair and a locker. And if you have ever earned your way into the what we call the suburbs, you could have your own cell with a two man cell, which was downstairs. But my new bunkie, um, Romo, he as I found out later, he was he was a guy that was was uh, he was uh, the shot caller for the Texas Homeboys, and he was known, and we hit it off within just the first five or two he said i gotta i gotta help you make your bed we gotta make it military style because that's they do these inspections here with a warden he said don't put anything in that locker he said we're gonna clean that up immediately he was helping me and then he took me and to the other side of the the uh, dorm he said jim clark meet brent cassidy he's one of you he said he hasn't ever been here before as you can tell so so help him out so i find out that this jim clark Strangely enough, I'm in Kansas in Leavenworth, find out that Jim Clark went to the same high school as me. We both played basketball and he was just eight years older. I don't know how in the world that kind of stuff happens, but it did. And then I, you know, the end of my day was is that or as I was part of this, as I went downstairs, because I asked Jim, I said, I heard you can make a phone call. To your family once you get in here. Is that true? And he said, if you go down and talk to the counselor, they'll let you use the phone. So anyway, I went down and I w- and had this uh, Mr. Goodwin who was one of the good guys in the prison. And he said, yeah. And he, gave, he said, what's your phone number? And then I made that phone call. And on the other end of the line, it's like, oh. And I told my wife and kids, I said, you know, I've made it in and believe it or not, I've got some people that are really helping me here. I'm going to be okay.
0: That has to be a relief for your family because mm. that is not how I would imagine the experience to be. So for your wife and children to hear, oh, yeah, I'm meeting people. They're helping me out. <laughs> I'm getting settled in. It's like. Oh, okay. Well, I think it keeps their mind know.
1: at ease, does. And I, I think, um, you know, that experience that day taught me something is that you don't know what you don't know. So don't assume that you know. And so many things you find out in prison are so much applicable to the outside. You know, the old, the, um, the movie Shawshank Redemption has so many good things in it. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it, it, it with Morgan Freeman and, and uh, Tim, um, it plays Andy Dufresne. That that one line where I say get busy living or get busy dying. That is really how prison is. You either see people that are trying to make it work and try not to lose themselves. And then you see people that have given up and they become institutionalized. Strangely enough, when you get out of prison, that is also what you see um you know i tried so much and strived to not lose myself in prison and i you know i I had a good job um i stayed you know i I, that's one of the things it does i was going to tell you that night when i got in bed and i wish i would have had a pillow but they were out of pillows so i used my coat and and we had light coming from the bathroom there because i was only two bunk beds away from the bathroom door I thought, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do what I've always done when I've entered a new situation. I'm gonna I'm gonna set some goals. I'm gonna just take a piece of paper here and just write it down. And what I wrote down that night was is that I first um, my first thing was is that I was I needed to get a good prison job. My second thing was I'm gonna get in the best shape I've ever been in my whole life. My third thing was is I'm gonna read as many books as I can to keep myself being me and, and somewhat of an escape for here um, I needed to get into this program that I'd been re- recommended for that would give me a year off my sentence and I had to find the right people to do that and the other thing was is how to connect to the outside world how do I get on the phone how do I get onto this true leagues core league system so that I can talk to people and, and, and be able to straddle the other side of the fence and that was really very basic of what I wrote down that night but it kept me to where and then my five principles that i lived with really as i kind of grew my when i grew my business does i found that these principles actually helped me survive prison and not lose myself in prison and if you don't mind i'd like to share them with you because i think it. there's some. they're good for prison they're good for life and they're good for business and it kept me from being lost
0: i love that yeah. okay so the first thing
1: was, first thing was, does is that, and it always worked for me when I was like a young 20-something, is um, humble yourself and ask for advice. And it, in prison, it was so important to look around and just take it in and see, you know, is there somebody, you know, does somebody have a job that I'd like to have? Does somebody look like they're getting along? Does somebody have a workout routine? Any of those things. Somebody looks like they're doing their time better. Talk to them, see how it's working. And it's always so amazing to me how people are willing to tell you about it. Same thing in business. You know, when I was an up and coming young kid, you know, growing a company, I'd read something in the newspaper or a magazine article and I would just call them and say, hey, I just read this incredible article about you. And, and this is really interesting because this is something I'd like to do. And it was always amazing to me that first of all, that you could get a hold of them and secondly, because they were kind of proud of themselves and what they were doing, they tell you how they did it. And, it, you know, all of a sudden you got the answers to the test before the test. And But it, you have to humble yourself. Right. You don't know all the answers. So that one really helped me in prison because I was able to take in a lot and then decide, OK, what fits for me? How does that fit me? Can I use that? Is that how I can do my time? The second thing was. And I brought up Shawshank Redemption because you've got to have and find your Zewan Everybody has to have a Zewan In the movie, the thing that kept Andy, who was wrongly convicted of murder, chipping through that wall in his cell for 19 years was was Taneo. His Zewan Wantaneo was... And you could see it when he talked about it. His eyes would light up. You know, it's the bluest of the Pacific. It was the widest of the sands. It's the old boat that he's going to fix up for the fishing excursions with his friends. It's the old inn that he's going to invite his friends to. That kept, in every day he had holes in his pockets and he let out that wall. He rewarded himself every day for staying on, staying on track, staying on track, staying on track. That Wantaneo, whether you're in prison or you're out of prison, Why are you doing what you're doing and what's keeping you on track? you got to have a goal and a plan that gets you up, out, action. Because if you don't, you know, it's the old thing where they say, you know, a goal without a plan is like having a map or having a destination without a map. I mean, you could just drive all over the place, run out of gas, not even know how close you are. But if you have a map, you you can get off even into the ditch but know where you're going because you've got the map. It's so important. In the worst of times or the best of times, to have your Zaywantaneo because that keeps you taking those steps, even if it scares you, even if it's the unknown. You know, the unknown is usually where you're wanting to go. You know, that's usually, mm-hmm. and what happens is when I was talking about being institutionalized, people in prison get institutionalized by getting into this ugly, this routine. But it's what they know, and it becomes their comfort, and then they become unfamiliar with freedom, and they'll catch another charge, mm-hmm. and they'll do something to stay in longer, because this is what they know. They can't step out of, and that's what happens when you're, when you're on the outside. Is the you know the bad marriage, the the bad job, whatever those things are, you built up prisons in your own mind, and you're not allowing yourself to step out to what you want. So the the third thing is. And this was big to me. My daughter made me a calendar every year that I was in. And I would write in that calendar every night when I went to bed. And, and the third one is, is when the day, one day at a time, unfair things happen, move on and make a difference regardless. Okay, so I don't ever want to be pretending like people don't have bad days. I had bad days in prison. What I did was, is I just went all the way down all the way down, just felt sorry for myself, you know, whatever it was. My trick was to my brain was not to have two bad days in prison. And so I couldn't, my thing was I might've written and this would have been a bad day, but this second block, second day, I had to find something that, that I could win the day with. Two bad days in a row will, is a slippery slope to get you in a bad situation to where you, you're going down the wrong way now. Easier to be on the slippery slope than to just to steady yourself, to not have two bad days. So when the day, one day at a time, unfair things happen, make a difference regardless, is something that I think everybody can use. The other thing about prison was, is I couldn't look five years into the future. I couldn't look three years in the future. It's too overwhelming. I could look at the day, I could look at the week. And if I could get through that, that was surviving. Not three years, not five years. How do I? How do I win today? How do I be myself today? And then you can win the week, and the month. So that's the fourth thing was obviously a big one because here I am in prison, and I've made mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. They do not define you, but they do make you wiser, and. I think this is one of the things that younger people get confused with. They're afraid to make mistakes because they see it as failure. Mistakes are always about growth, unless you're trying to unless you're making the same mistake over and over. There's a difference. If if you make a mistake, you learn from the mistake, and then that's what you grow from. You you it, whether it's personal or whether it's business within life that mistake sometimes can be the thing that you make the most growth with because you won't make that again, and now you have that wisdom. The only time you get into a spiral is is continuing to make the same mistake over and over and not learning from it. That's a problem. Um, The the fifth one to me might have been, I don't know, maybe my most important besides the win the day, but don't give in. Don't give up keep being yourself regardless of the circumstances. Otherwise you will lose what makes you, you. And I think this is, was important for me in prison because regardless of the circumstances, I still wanted to be Brent Cassidy. I still wanted to be the guy mm-hmm. that I, I knew and, and I believed in, even though I found myself in prison. Um, if you don't, and you, you go with the crowd, and whether, you know, it could be positive, successful things, and you go with the crowd, and you lose who you are, and you can fall into a bad trap. Or you can be in the ditch, and you lose who you are, and you can't get out of that trap. Biggest thing is, is all of us have really good things about ourselves that make us who we are. Don't, you can always learn and make yourself better, just don't lose yourself. And I always say this, if you lose yourself what usually ends up happening is that's when you get institutionalized because you've gotten so comfortable with the bad that you think that's the only thing you deserve and you aren't Mm -hmm. willing to step out of it. But I think, uh, you know, those five things, Des, helped me steady. It steadied me Mm -hmm. and it kept me... And, I, and, and the thing that I did is I walked a lot in prison. I I, I could walk six miles a day after I would work out or something. And, and I was always thinking, okay, what are you going to do, Britt, with this experience? What are you going to do? This You're in prison. I mean, my goal in life was to, to revolutionize the, the way people thought about death and dying. Now I'm in prison. What can I do with this experience? And I started thinking about mm-hmm. nightmare success. Um, and, I came to those two words because they don't usually seem like they're together, right? You don't, nightmare and success.
0: Paradoxical. Yes. Yeah.
1: But if you think back and reverse it out, they're always together. Anything you ever want in life, you're going to have to step through your fears, you have to step through your nightmares, whatever makes you uncomfortable, whatever is unknown. And that is said it once you do that once you step through that nightmare your fears your unknowns and you step to the other side uh, you you climb it you go under it you go around it you get to the side that sets yourself free that's the key you step into it regardless if it scares the hell out of you because probably what you're going towards is going to be really good you just got to you just got to grit it grit it out
0: yeah it's it's amazing how present you were able to be, you know? And that that I think is something that carried you through is knowing that you only had that time to do with it what you could, what what, you know, and that was to read, learn, reflect, think about what the future looked like because that's what you actually could influence, and uh, I think that's incredible. You know, I, I shared this post the just last night, I think, and it says something like, um, "Well, I'll have to, I'll, I'll look at it so I, I can be really accurate." But <clears throat> what you said reminded me of it, and it's, um, "Don't judge yourself by your past." You don't live there anymore. Love that. So, you know, there's lessons in everything. There's lessons that we get from positive things that happen. But I think the greatest lessons, like you said, come when the most difficult things happen. That's when your resilience is tested and you have a choice every day. And I think that that's that second rule that you had about Your why is so important because it's easy to get lost.
1: Yeah. It's
0: easy to get lost and just say, you know what? This sucks. Prison sucks. Like, I don't want to be here. (laughs) It's terrible. You know, I mean, I just, and you could just sleep the time away, but you used it as like a school, (laughs) as productive time to actually come up with the next thing. Of of nightmare success and and figure out how not only you are going to learn, but how you you could take something and help other people. Well, That's what I really
1: does is, uh, you know, amazing. doing doing the podcast uh, Nightmare Success In and Out. It was, um, you know, I was doing interviews on podcasts. And I thought, well, I had to have a podcast, and I looked and I thought, well, good God, I have fifty people. I was at Leavenworth with on my Facebook. Why don't I talk to them? They've got great stories. I've heard a lot of them. And we'll just talk about life yeah. before prison, life in prison, life out of prison. And what's really been cool about it is that when people go to prison, unless you know somebody who's been to prison, um, they kind of look at you like is he a prison creature? You know, what? <laughs> he look different? Is he active for? You know, it's it's you know, you just kind of get that, you know, he was in prison. Oh, she was you're
0: sized up a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean you're you're coming in and people are looking at you like, yeah. are you gonna make it here? Yeah, is this yeah. gonna, you know, are you gonna right. track in here? My my brother-in-law has been in law enforcement for over two decades, and he's a sergeant in prison. And um, the, I mean the stories are unbelievable. And yeah. and like you said, there's there is a there's a lot of the same people that he sees. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that. So, and, and that's, that's one road, one choice. Like you talked yeah. about, you could be institutionalized right. and go and, and, and say to yourself, you know what, this is the life that I deserve. I mean, I got here. So this must yeah. mean I'm a criminal and I'm just going to keep on following this Scycling cycle through. or right. you can take a different path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I'm
1: finding though, like the, so many of these guys were good guys that just made a bad mistake, you know, and, and, and a lot of these guys were, were smart. I mean, some of these guys that were drug dealers were really smart. They just didn't, they were in an Ill- illegal business, oh, but Absolutely. you know, they, they had distribution, they had commissions, they had all the things that you have in a business uh, marketing, all those things. This is just
0: an illegal business. <laughs> an right? illegal business. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I found that fascinating, but the, the other, cause I thought, well, gosh, our businesses are a lot alike, but the, when I when we've gotten on this platform where they tell their stories, what I think happens, because it, this is one of these things and the passions I have now is that these second chances when you come out, because the, the numbers are so bad, does there are three and um, three years, two thirds go back in five years, three fourths go back. So the recidivism rate is so bad, but there's some reasons why that happens. There's um, it's really hard to get a job. And you got to check a box off. It's really hard to find a place to live because you have to check a box off. Uh, It's hard to get credit. So those three things, if you don't have a family or friends that are helping you, you can really fall pretty quickly into a bad situation of what you were familiar with just to survive. But when you start hearing these stories that these guys are telling about their lives, what I think happens is a little bit more of a bridge is built between The prison person who's now out and the person who doesn't really know about prison and that familiarity with, oh, wow, that's how they handled that. Actually, I could use that in a dark patch when I hit that. But there's more commonality built. And I think if that could be something that continues to grow, that's a good thing. Because these guys, for the most part, I'm not talking about guys who murder and violent you know, of crimes, but I'm talking about nonviolent offenders. So many of these guys are just looking for a second chance to get back out there. And so many of these guys could really benefit uh, society because uh, if we use their talents or whatever they have, but I think a lot of it is is getting familiar enough to where these people are not going to be the people that hurt you or they're not scary people. They're just people who stepped on the wrong track at the wrong time and had some bad luck. But they're looking to get back into society and and live a second life.
0: Yeah. No. Absolutely. But so I have to ask because you had this determination, this will, you know, this drive while you were in there. What What was the day like? So I know the day you got there, and what (laughs) what was the day like when it was time for you to leave there? It was. It was was that day. Like.
1: um, Well. Because I had I, I had worked so hard to keep my mind active, you know, and then when it got to be like six months to the door, time slows down so much because you, you're starting to think about things that you kind of put off to the side, like really being home. Um, and there's some scary things about that. You know, um, my wife, Julie was an absolute warrior and she came to see me uh, every weekend. And I, you know, can't And we've known each other since I was 15, she was 13. So we've been through every life stage together. But um, as we got closer and I knew that, you know, my clothes finally showed up. And that day when I, you know, I it arrived, there were bits and pieces of it that were so exciting that I'll never be able to compare it to anything. And there were some sad things because there, you know, a couple of the guys I was really close to. It's like you were leaving them on the battlefield. I mean, one of the guys, you know, I mean, he had two years left and, and he was so much part of our routine together because that's it's like Groundhog Day in prison. You wake up and you do the same thing every single day. But I put those clothes on, Des, and I was like, oh, my God, this is. And it was so weird because I had my street clothes on in prison, which felt so weird because everybody, you know, has these khakis and, you know, you wear, everybody looks the same. But I'll tell you what's really strange about it is, is, like I said, when you walk in, to prison your first day, they're all checking you out. It's just like the movies, you know, they're checking you out. You know, wow, let's see what that guy's, yeah, whatever. And you, you walk in alone, and you're being checked. When I was leaving, it was like there was a line of guys, and and we were slapping high fives and and getting, you know, it was just it was like uh, such a exactly 180 degree difference than walking in. And and then to be walking those steps, knowing that on the other side of that wall was my family, my three daughters and my wife. And we were going to walk out of there and drive away. And I, you know, they I walked up and we hugged and we it was a feeling of all of us, because when somebody goes to prison, the whole family goes to prison one way or the other. And it was almost like we were just this huge sigh that we had made it and, and it was almost like an accomplishment of time that we had survived it. And we got in that car and drove out of there as fast as we could. And it was just like a feeling that I'll never have again. And it it almost makes me emotional talking about now, but it was just, uh, and it's so strange to say that you accomplish time in prison, but when you do get done with it, you do feel like, I made it, made it out of that. And I can do that. And, and it gives you confidence going forward in life. Nothing really in, in my situation, I'm 55 years old, does. You'd have to do a lot for me to say, I can't do that. I, I don't get easily scared of situations. I can get nervous. I can get um, excited. I can get that fear factor but not to do it, I'll almost mm-hmm. step into anything now uh, because I just have that whatever that is that shed off of me. And I don't want to waste any time. And if something looks like it's going to be an opportunity or something that can benefit or any of those things, I'm stepping. And, you know, I think that's the biggest yeah. thing that you can tell people is steps in action will shed your fear Quite a bit because the first step is oh man that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Second step is oh I'm already getting into it. Third step is like ha I got this, and that's that's how people mm-hmm. get to where they're going. They they trick their mind into fr- the very first thing that's the toughest is to take the first step into the unknown.
0: Yeah, you can do that. Is- you can take the second one. I yeah, but you 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 can go down a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Spiral, you know, and that's and that's I think that that's the danger. And that's that's exactly what you're talking about is you one foot after the other. And I love how you said one day at a time. So that's all you can do. That's all you, you can do. Can't think. And I think, <laughs> you know, I think a-
1: Des, that's one of the things that paralyzes people. Um, they might have this fantastic plan, but they can't get out of it because it's overwhelming. You know, it's their five-year plan or their 10-year plan, but what is today? What's your deal today? That's mm-hmm. that's the thing that you gotta start working with first. What am I doing today? Does it get me to where I'm wanting yeah. to go? It either does or it doesn't.
0: Right here, right now, right? Now. right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's oh, it's incredible. And the fact that you have a book where people can tap in and, and dig a little bit deeper, I think is, is really special because this, you know, this is a little bit like that appetizer, you know, (laughs) but I think people, if they want to have that full meal, right, they can go and, and get your book. And what's, what's the best place that they can do that, Brent?
1: Uh, Amazon's really easy. Uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, if you're in the Midwest, I've been doing book signings, so I love it when people come out for that. But, uh, yeah it, it, the uh you can just go on nightmare success and or brent cassidy and and on amazon or barnes and noble i'll pop right up. love That's for people awesome. to buy the book
0: yeah ab- no absolutely because this is this is the real deal stuff you know i mean if if ever you are going to be tested this is one of those ultimate tests i mean for you to be taken out of civilization you know, regular day to day, and and then be enclosed, limited. You know, you it's kind of like Survivor or something. You know, they've got <laughs> all these is. shows. I used to watch you know, that a lot. How the right like your your mental game gets yeah. tested when you when when things get taken essentially taken away from you? You know, there's like naked and afraid, and all these different shows of like okay, if if you were taken sent out of your element. And you had to be on, you know, and, and, and with some new devices, what would you do? How would you I like you, that, Dez. And, and-
1: Dez, I think that's a good uh, analogy of survivor because, you know, those strategies of how people in some, some people will surprise you on that show. They're like, wow, I didn't know they could do that. I didn't think that they'd be able to do that. And so much of it is mindset. One of my favorite quotes is uh, the old Henry Ford quote. It's you know, whether you think you can, or whether you think you can't, you are right. You are right.
0: That's right. And it's, you
1: know the, it really right. does come down to mindset.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of that, I wanted to ask you a couple questions that mm-hmm. just can help people to get to know you and your mindset. Um, and the first one is related to the title of my show. which is called Born Unbreakable. And my question is what makes you, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, What makes you unbreakable, Brent?
1: Well, I think that with what I've gone through, I believe that if you have, you've got to have support. And I had a family that I lost everything, but I didn't lose them. And You know, I don't know what my time would have been like if I hadn't have had that. That probably is the thing that makes me the most unbreakable is having that unit that we unconditional uh, support, love uh, to be able to know that that's always there. I think, you know, that's the thing I, I cherished the most now the mo- the thing i had the most gratitude about that i have that i didn't lose and you know i just went through uh, my second daughter got married uh, this last weekend and my oldest daughter's getting ready to have twins in a couple of months and i think when i hit those moments in time you know i was thinking ah oh, just thank god i'm here you know just thank god i can experience wow. this and and I don't think that's one of the things, you know, you know, um, being born unbreakable is—is is that you have to believe, you have to have some kind of inner confidence that no matter what happens, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give. And I came really close to that that night that I, you know, was feeling sorry for myself. And thank gosh, I, I shook it off. But, um, yeah, I look at I look at the the fact of of the strength of the family is is what has gotten me to feel and and there's something where you're wired a certain way i mean i easy thing for me to do getting out of prison would have been just to go and become faceless and and not be visible and and i really wanted to use what had happened in my life to see if i could benefit other people in their lives and that fills me up and I'm living a different life now than I did, you know, in my 40s and 30s and 20s. But I'm really getting filled up by what I'm doing right now. And it's not about money. It's not about whatever that is. It's it's about are you making a difference? Are you affecting change? And, yeah. and how does that feel? It feels that 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 can feel pretty good.
0: Fulfillment looks a lot different now, huh? After those experiences, that's that's so true. What about your bucket list? Mm. What is something on your bucket list that you want to accomplish?
1: Well, I mean, where I'm at right now, I would love to see, you know, Nightmare Success grow into a national brand. uh, And that that's a that's a business thing for my um for my bucket list of things that i would like to do in life i my my girls were really good tennis players and i would love to be able to somehow create a situation where we could all go to wimbledon it would just be like that it would just be the best of or the u.s open but wimbledon would be so cool um I've always wanted to go to Italy. That would be a bucket list item. Um, and uh, Cassidy, you know, I, I, there's a, there's an old Cassidy pub over there in Ireland. I'd love to visit that someday. And ultimately, I don't have these. Like, if I could end my life uh, retired down Table Rock Lake with a boat, listening to the Eagles on the radio, riding with Julie, and watching the sun go down, I'd be pretty happy. Pretty
0: happy guy. It sounds it, that sounds like pure joy right there. But <laughs> I, I love that, and I have and I have all the faith that you are going to do those things because uh, you have ch- demonstrated that when you're committed to doing something, you you sure do um, accomplish it. So I, I have the faith in that. What about a limiting belief? What is a limiting a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome?
1: Oh, wow, that's a good question. Good question. Um, Cause I, you know, there's there's all different kinds of limiting beliefs that you have as you li- are in different stages of your life. Um, you know, I guess one of the things that I had as a limiting belief for me was, as I was a kid who grew up in a small town and when I got into uh, bigger situations, was it did it, did I belong? You know, I had this weird thing in my head like, did Brent Casty belong in this situation? And as I got older, I realized that yeah, everybody belongs if you're if you're making it to wherever you're wanting to go, uh, you've earned it. Yeah, and. Um, I think that and, and I think I had to overcome the limiting belief that I couldn't make it on my own. It had to be the help from my dad because he was always that that thing I was striving for. And since since dad has, has he passed away a couple of years ago. And, and as we've gone through all of this, I think, you know, that limiting belief that I always needed him to pass it by, to make sure that this was gonna be you know, the right direction or the right idea or the right thing to do. Uh, and I use that maybe as a crutch, as a limiting belief that I couldn't make those decisions on my own. And I think um, as I've gotten older, that limiting belief has shrunk because now I'm just doing things that I think it feels right. I'm doing that because I've only got so much time and I'm gonna step into it no matter, regardless. So, yeah, and that's a yeah. weird thing when you get into a family business, too, is because I think that's why you see um, like famous uh, rock bands uh, break up. Like you see the Eagles, and Beatles and all those different people break up because they all want it on their own. You know, your family business. It's mine. It's on my own. Yeah. I did that. And I, I think that's how yeah. that happens. I, I always think, you know, how, why do these cool you know, people, even the Bee Gees broke up for a while. But. You know, when you are out on your own, like I am now, it, it does give you a sense of independence and a different feel for uh, this is all me. This is all what I like doing. And it's it's it feels good. And I, I think that the other part of that does is you have a different appreciation for life when you get out of prison. And it's some of the things that it's not the big things; it's the little things like having control of your day, having control to be able to go walk your dogs. To be able to watch what you want on TV, to be able to sleep in a nice bed, those things are really nice. Those things are something everybody should really appreciate. But it kind of gets yeah. you know, blurred. But you don't lose that necessarily. That is- I still love it every night when I go and I got this king size bed and it's that that sleep number thing and I'm like, God, this is good. This is so much better. Than my <laughs> oh my I was gosh,
0: like. I could. Buttons and change the settings. It's, and I could it's watch so anything I want yeah, on no TV <laughs> Exactly. At any time, too. Just even if you can't sleep, you could turn something on. Or to see people.
1: Or to see people when you know. I, you know, seeing my kids. Whenever you want to see your kids, not for the three hours that are allowed and they're counting your points and then you've got to, you've got to say all those things that gets deeper into your skin that when you get out, you don't necessarily lose that. You feel that and it it feels deeper and more meaningful.
0: Yeah. Brent, what about a superpower? What (laughs) would you say is something that you're really good at that you're proud of?
1: I think the thing that I'm probably most proud of is that it's I'm pretty tenacious. Um, you can't agree with that. really knock me down. De- you can knock me down, but I'm going to get back up. And uh, I think that probably is my superpower is that I, I won't if I really want it. I'll get back up and I'll get back up and I'll get back up and I'll I'll find that doorframe. I'll keep hitting my head and then fall through the doorframe. But that's probably out of everything because I'm not the smartest guy. You know, it's, it's, it's really more of having a goal plan and being tenacious about it.
0: Yeah. Oh, tenacity. I love that. Okay. Brent, if there was one last piece of advice that you could give to anyone listening, what would that be?
1: I think one of the things I think that is important from the takeaways that I've had in my life is is that regardless of where you are in life, find what fills you up, find what you have the passion of and step towards that And don't let your mind, because like I said, nothing as bad as your mind makes it out to be, not even prison. Step into it, because I can tell you that not stepping into it makes you feel small. Stepping into it gives you strength. And like we were talking about earlier, Des, usually when you're stepping into something, it is going to be an unknown, but it is something that you want to step towards. Go ahead and do it and you'll feel better as you keep taking those steps. Action is a freedom and you don't want to not take those steps because that's that institutionalized feeling of, you know, basically looking at what could I be? What, what, what am I missing? And, and having that uh, fear of missing out Just step into it, just and you'll feel better. Mm -hmm. Each every step will make you feel like you're doing something that's positive. Even, and I'm not saying that there's not going to be steps that you take that will knock you off track, but as long as you keep taking action and stepping forward, if I get stepped back a little bit, just take another step forward, it'll change your life.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is so powerful that just that first step makes the biggest difference between, you know, wondering if you could have versus standing there and saying that you did. Right. And I, I'm so grateful that you've been vulnerable to share your story. It's not easy to talk about, you know, these kinds of things. Um, I somehow though believe that with every opportunity that you are able to share, it gives you strength and it gives people hope. And I think that is that is the gift that I would love to leave people with. Is it is inevitable, like you said, life throws things at you, and and oftentimes when you don't expect it, and it's it's how you react that makes all the difference. It's how you show up and what you decide to do that, that is, you know, the difference between despair and triumph. And you've certainly been an example of that. So I appreciate you taking the time to share your story, Brent. It's amazing.
1: Des, I appreciate it. I love the uh, Born Unbreakable theme. It's uh, you know, that's what you were doing. you know, affects things for the positive. I, I think it's so great.
0: Thank you so much. I look forward to promoting your book and following everything that you do. And speaking of following, how can people find you if they want to look you up and keep keep at, you know, seeing what it is that you're up to?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, my website, I'd love people to go to. It's brettcassidy.com. Uh, I've got my podcast there. I've got my how you can get the book there, my stories there. Just about anything you want to know about Brent Cassidy is at brentcassidy.com. That's C-A-S-S-I-T-Y. We spell it wrong. David and Sean Cassidy, we spell it with a D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I'd love to have followers on Instagram, more followers. That's always great. Uh, but, yeah, and that's all on Brent Cassidy, at Brent Cassidy.
0: Fantastic. Absolutely. I will include all of that in the show notes so people can click directly onto those links and be able to connect with you. But this has been so magnificent. Thank you again, Brent.
1: Thank you, Des. I appreciate it. Honored.
0: Oh my gosh! I just had the most awesome conversation with Brent after the show, and we could have went on and on and on <laughs> for hours, just uh, about the justice system, about the whole process, you know, that people have to go through um, when you are in the criminal justice system, and even the difference between being in a state prison versus a federal prison, which, um, Brent was in a federal prison. So there's a lot of nuances and and certainly a lot to learn. So again, I highly encourage you to check out Nightmare Success, uh, in and out podcast. He interviews people who have been in prison. You get to hear their stories. Uh, and it's, it's so fascinating. I just, uh, I'm fascinated about all of the stories. Um, you all know from what I've shared before. I, I am a true crime fan. Um, you know, I follow the, the guilty, the innocent, and 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 all of that. So, anyways, um, I just really want to comment on Brent's fortitude and resilience and the ability that he had to make an immediate decision, an immediate decision upon arriving to prison to say, I'm going to make the most of every day and follow those set of rules that he had, you know, having humility, having a North star, taking it one day at a time, uh, you know, not losing yourself. I mean, all of those are things that, Are absolutely applicable in life and and that's why I love that he shares that because these are certainly life lessons so um, you know I want to to come back to you and your reflection which is this think about a Brent moment your nightmare moment okay your nightmare success moment uh what was one of those times when you had a curveball thrown at you when you were in the valley of despair when you were in the darkness and couldn't see the light when you could not believe what was happening and you asked yourself why is this happening to me how could this happen to me we've been in situations like that hopefully not in prison, uh, but we've had those moments. They're real, they're raw, and they're reality. Go back to that time and ask yourself how did you persevere? What did you learn? And how are you reminding yourself to apply that forward? I think one of the big things I learned from Brent is gratitude. Those things like sleeping in your own bed, spending time with your family, making choices about what you're doing with your day and having control over your day are big things that you have gratitude for in a newfound way that you may not have previously. Give yourself that reminder today. Give yourself that reminder so you are in that space and that mindset of hope, of presence and of seeing how you are making choices every day to learn from your mistakes and pay it forward. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Born Unbreakable podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, rate, review, share, all that good stuff. And remember that you are your only limit. So take action today. See you next time.